Welcome to the City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. It's February 2nd, and we are ready for the word. Amen? Come on now. I'm starting up a brand new series of messages uh, for the next several weeks on the book of Nehemiah. Uh, so we're talking through the subject or the, so- the topic, Rebuild. And if you're familiar with the story of Nehemiah, uh, you- you'll be able to, to already kind of capture what we're getting at. Uh, but I just, I pray that this would be an encouraging series for you. So I, I encourage you, if, if at all possible, try to make it every week uh, because this is going to be an encouragement to you. This is going to be correction for us. And, uh, and also, I just believe that God wants to minister just a fresh word, a fresh word into our spirit. And, uh, and, and so if, if you're ready and expectant for that, today we're going to begin uh, in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or your YouVersion app or any other semblance of a Bible or something, uh, if you could turn there, Nehemiah chapter 1. And I will be reading the entirety of chapter 1 just to kind of set the stage uh, for where we're going this morning. And, uh, and I just pray that you would open up your hearts uh, to what I believe God wants to say to us in the next several weeks as a church. Amen? How many of y'all love Nehemiah? Anybody familiar with the story you love? All right, three. So we're going to get the whole crowd going uh, by the end of this series. Amen? Uh, Nehemiah chapter one. I'm going to read the whole thing, so just kind of buckle up. And uh, reading scripture is a good thing. Amen? The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my, so many complicated names, one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you today and night before the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sin of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make your name dwell there to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Can we pray together this morning? God, we just love you. Thank you, God, for this powerful time of worship. My goodness, Lord, what an amazing time of worship. Thank you, God, for this house, and thank you for the culture of worship that we have here. Lord, I thank you that this church is not dead, but it is alive. And Father God, what a gift that is. We don't take that for granted. 
Father, I ask now that as we open up your word, I pray that it would uh, confront us and change us, God. Father, we want more of you, and we believe that your word comes forth powerfully and it changes lives. So Lord, would you do what only you can do this morning? We ask it all in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Um, so let's just kind of jump right into it. The content, in order for us to understand the text that we just read, it's, it's a complicated text uh, that has a lot of names, a lot of, a lot of places, a lot of stuff going on. And have you ever just kind of felt confused reading through the Old Testament? You're just like, I can't. Let me go back to John, right? That, anybody ever felt like that? Let me go back to Romans in the name of the Lord, right? And so we kind of jump through Leviticus and Numbers and all that. And we're just like, yeah, I'm a New Testament Christian. I think that there's a whole lot of, not I don't think, I know that there's a whole lot of amazing revelation that we need to pull out of the Old Testament because everything in all of the Bible points to this person named Jesus. And so, so we need to uh, get over ourselves when we start saying, well, the Old Testament doesn't matter because the Old Testament, without the old, the new makes no sense. And so we need to really unpack, digest. We can't just be New Testament Christians. We have to be Bible Christians, amen? And, uh, and so I really feel this deep conviction that I would hate for us to go through 52 weeks of church on a Sunday and we get to the end of our year and we are still biblically illiterate. You know, that we don't understand what's going on in the Bible. We don't understand what God is saying. And so I really believe that, that we need to understand what the context is. Now, if we just say the name Israel, the country of Israel, everybody knows people of God, nation of God, blah, blah, blah. Chosen folks, right? So the situation was that God made this covenant, and because of this covenant, uh, they had their right to like a promised land, they had their right to God's blessing, all this stuff. But as people are, they continue to act in disobedience, rebellion. They continue to uh, uh, chase after the gods of other nations, and they, they were just kind of, they were just messed up. And we judge them, but we're the same, amen? And so, so, so that's kind of, that's the whole Old Testament. It's just God being merciful, the people messing up, God being merciful again, the people messing up, God being, that's the whole Old Testament, essentially. So what's happening in the book of Nehemiah is that 450 years before Christ, What's happening is that the nation of Israel has been taken over by Babylon. Babylon is taken over by Persia. And so they've been in exile. The, the people of Israel have been scattered in Babylon forever. And so all this is happening. And Nehemiah gets word way later that from somebody that was in Judah, in Jerusalem, that the, the gates of Jerusalem had been burned down. The temple was destroyed. Everything was done. Now, and so he, he, he's responded, this whole book, this whole thing that we just read, is a response to the bad news that he received that the gates of Jerusalem were, were burned down and the whole city was sitting in destruction. So, so that's kind of the, the whole context. It, it's kind of like you, you know that God has promised you something. You, you believe God's promises over your life, but reality is very different than what you've been promised. That's essentially what's happening here. And I think maybe we can't relate to Nehemiah. It's not like we're crying if, if Pawtucket City Hall burned down. None of us would, would well, we just hope everyone's okay, but we wouldn't really like, you, let me just keep going. Yeah, but but the, the situation is just, it's like God promised us something, but what I'm seeing is very different from what he promised. And there's just the disappointment, the heartbreak of promise, but yet reality is that everything's burned down. So maybe you can't relate to Nehemiah crying over the gates of Jerusalem being burned down, but maybe you can relate to the promise of God over your life that you feel like still hasn't come to pass. Or a promise that did come to pass that you felt like got taken away from you. Something that was real and something that was there, but, 
but now it's, it's no longer there. And Nehemiah gets word from somebody and he says, how's Jerusalem? What's our city like? Like we haven't been there. We're in exile. Like everybody's been scattered. And the person says, well, the situation is that everybody's still scattered and the gates are burned down and, and Jerusalem is just lying in ruins. And what happens is, is that Nehemiah begins to mourn. He begins to weep. He begins to, to cry out. And, and, and I started thinking about this because the verse says this, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What I find here is this revelation that a lot of us that are walking with the Lord constantly live in the tension between what we feel and what our faith says. We are living in the, in the, in the mix of how we feel and what we know the word says. The, the, the tension of faith and feelings. Have you ever just kind of felt like there's a, there's a, it feels like those two things don't mesh. It's like my faith and what I feel aren't lining up. It's like I know what God's word says, but somehow I don't feel what I should be feeling. Like I know that the joy of the Lord is my strength, but I still feel stressed. Has anybody ever felt like that? Like, yeah, I love the promise of the day, but it doesn't change the way I feel. Let me just kind of get us all in the same playing field. Christians are not called to live in denial. We're not called to live in denial. I don't believe being a person of faith means that we ignore how we feel. Right? Like, just because I'm trusting in God does not mean that I need to stamp out the way that I feel about things or block out the way that I feel about things. To feel is to be human. To human is to feel. And for those of us in the room that feel deeply about everything, when you are excited, you are on top of the world. And when you are down, you are in the pit of everything that is valley. Like, have, like for those of us that feel deeply, life is a bunch of series of emotions. And I think that that is a gift, not a curse. Feelings are part of what it means to be made in the image of God. To weep and to mourn is sacred. Men in the room, to weep and to mourn is manly and sacred. To feel is to be human, and to be human is to feel. And I never want us to have a culture where we have to block out the way we feel in the name of faith. Is this making sense? That we can hold on to what God says about us and who God says we are, but still feel the pain of life. Folks, when bad stuff happens, the faithful can feel the pain of it. To feel pain does not mean you're not trusting God. To mourn and to weep does not mean that you lack faith. To cry over what you are going through does not mean that you aren't trusting in God's promises over your life. What We live in this constant tension of our faith and our feelings. But here's where we need to come to is that feelings are not final. The way we feel cannot dictate the way we will live. You see, I can feel pain, but I can't allow myself to wallow in my pain, to remain, to camp out in my pain. I, I believe that we, yes, to feel is to be human, to be human is to feel, but I think, speaking for millennials, we are constantly living by what we feel. Notice what millennials say a lot. I just feel like, I just really been feeling like God is. I just really been feeling distant. I've just been really feeling depressed. 
I just been really feeling dry. I just been really feeling bored. I just been really feeling broke. I just been really feeling single. I just been really feeling. And so what we're doing is we're establishing a habit where we live by what we feel. And when we don't feel like it, guess what we don't do? We don't do anything. We just kind of sit in the way we feel. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading my word. I don't feel like, I don't feel like worshiping. I don't, I, I, I don't feel, I don't feel like loving my spouse. I don't feel. And so what we end up doing is allowing our feelings to dictate the way we behave. To feel is normal, but to live by what we feel is not an act of faith. It's not. All honesty, there's Sundays where I wake up on Sunday and I don't feel like preaching. I don't feel like it. And then there are some Sundays that I wake up and I do feel like it. But guess what? If you were showing up to church and being like, I wonder if Shane feels like preaching today. Oh, he didn't feel like it. Let's all go home. You can't build anything with feelings. So I have to decide that regardless of how I feel, I have to act upon what I know to be right. So if I'm not feeling it, I show up. If I am feeling it, I show up. If I'm half feeling it, I show up. If I'm souped, I show up. If I'm angry, I show up. If I don't feel the worship set, I show up. If I love the worship set like today, I show up. If, I, if, if the lights all work, I show up. If the lights don't work, I show up. If Perla chokes us with smoke, I show up. If, if, if there's no smoke, I show up. If, if anything is going on, I show up because I don't live by what I feel. I can't live by what I feel, but I can't ignore how I feel either because I think we're extreme and we start saying, well, if I can't live by what I feel, then I'm just not going to feel. And then we become numb people who feel nothing. So there's heartbreak and you're numb. There's celebration and you don't celebrate. There's a party and you're silent. There's a funeral and you're... And we are people of extremes. Either we live by what we feel or we don't feel at all. Health is in the middle. We feel it, but we don't act upon what we feel. It's time for the pendulum of maturity to come to the middle because neither extreme is healthy. Living by what you feel and never feeling anything are leading you to destruction. But when you swing into the middle of feeling it but not allowing your feeling to dictate what you do, that is the sign of spiritual maturity. Isn't that amazing? Oh, man, our generation's always on that pendulum. You know what a pendulum is, right? I feel it all. I don't care. <laughs> hey, you're dead to me, right? Like we, right? I'm in love with you, babe, for life. Get out of my life, you're blocked, right? <laughs> blocked with a T, blocked. Two, 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 twenty. We're gonna start dating today for life, baby girl. <laughs> Not feeling you today. Maturity says, even though I feel what I'm feeling, I'm still committed to doing what's right. Yeah. Young married couples, if you're gonna survive, 
you have to stop allowing feelings to dictate your marriage. Marriage is a covenant, not a feeling. It's a covenant, which means if I'm not feeling you right now, I'm still in it. Even if we're fighting, I'm in it. You figure it out. You don't give up because you're not feeling it. My grandpa's been married for 90 years is saying amen. And he goes to the nursing home and kisses my grandma. And still says she's the girl of his dreams. Is he feeling the nursing home? No. But it's a covenant. You stick it out. Man, our generation needs to get over our feelings. The vibe. Get over the vibe. Set the vibe. Set the vibe. Nah, the vibe's off. The vibe's off because you're off. Set the vibe. Determine what the vibe of your marriage is. Determine what the vibe of your house. Nah, vibe's off. Vibe's weird. Weird vibes. Nah, good vibes. Because you know who sets the vibe? You do. Right? Oh, man. When you decide that your house is going to be good vibes, guess what the vibe's going to be? Good. But when you want it to be terrible vibes, guess how it's going to feel? Terrible. And then we add insult to injury, and it goes down, spiraling down ever more because we're allowing feelings to dictate the way we live. And you are going to live on a constant roller coaster of extreme emotions when you lack the maturity to know that health is in the middle. This is a good word. Yo, Nehemiah preaches. We haven't even talked about him, but he preaches. I haven't even brought him up yet. But Nehemiah feels the pain of the reality that his city is burned down and is praying at the same time that he's feeling the pain of the news. It's like, I'm going to feel this, but I'm going to pray and fast at the same time that I'm feeling the pain that I'm going through. You see, we need to live in that, that, that spectrum where both are central parts of how we live. Yes, we are feeling it, but yes, we are praying simultaneously. And you see, what prayer does is prayer does not change things. Prayer changes me. So feelings are not final. Faith has to be final. And what I love about Nehemiah is that as soon as he hears the news that his city is burned down, yes, he begins to weep. But number two, he gets spurred on to action immediately. Here's something that I think you should pay attention to is that what you feel deeply will frequently point you to your purpose in life. Can I talk about you real quick? Y'all went on vacation in Cape Verde and you saw children with, in poor conditions, families, villages in poor conditions, if I'm getting the story correctly. And what caused them grief is actually what brought about a ministry that has now lasted over 10 years called Vita Ministry because the thing that grieves your heart the most actually reveals the purpose for why you are alive. Nehemiah felt the grief of a city burned down, but grief will never lead you to inaction. Is this meaning anything to anybody? The thing that moves your heart the most is actually the thing that God wants you to use you in. The thing that has caused you the most pain is actually revealing to you your purpose in life. Isn't this a good word? It's the, 
Because sometimes I think we expect God's will to drop out of the skies like, da-da-da-da, here's God's will. But the da-da-da-da is frequently, it's bad news. Right? It's not the da 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 It's dun-dun-dun. It's bad. It's the, the thing that has caused you the most grief is the thing that God is using to pull the purpose out of your life. Man, Nehemiah just heard bad news. But bad news that caused him grief was actually the thing that was going to trigger the purpose of God for his life to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You see, here's the thing. Check this out. What I love is that the book of Nehemiah gives us insight into Nehemiah's prayer life. And as soon as Nehemiah heard the bad news, he begins to pray. And what I love is that we get a quote on the prayer and it says, then I said, so then I said, comes right after the bad news, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Check this. Anybody can complain, but only the faithful confess. You see, when a lot of us receive bad news, what do we do? Complain. But you see, the proper response to tragedy is worship. What Nehemiah is doing is showing us what spiritual maturity looks like. Is that instead of speaking to random people about all of our complaints regarding the situation that we're sad about, we, the proper healthy response is to go to God in worship. Notice the beginning of Nehemiah's prayer. He didn't say, God, how could you allow this to happen to the people that you called and set apart? Rather, he goes, God, God of steadfast love, whose covenant lasts for generations. All of a sudden, it's not about what you're going through. It's about the God who you know is already involved in the mix of it. Church, it requires faith to confess truth. Instead of complaining, let us confess what we know to be true. One more thing. Instead of stating the obvious, let's begin the pattern of stating the timeless. There are some Christians that love to state the obvious. Exhibit A. If church is a little bit emptier on a Sunday, there's always the one Christian that says, where's everybody? Oh, I didn't notice half the chairs were empty. How did I miss that? But if the church is packed, no one says the church is packed. Or if the church is packed and somebody took your seat, now you're upset that the church is growing. But if no one's here, you're upset that the church is empty. So what do you want? What you want is a church with just you. There are some Christians that love to state the obvious. Time here. Last summer, our AC was down. None of us intentionally made it hot in here so that everyone would be uncomfortable. <laughs> Nowhere in my brain was there a moment that I said, I am going to intentionally suffocate the church during service. <laughs> Tie in here. Yep, it is. Because we love to state the obvious, right? Right, right. Side comments with mom. Uh, but, but we love to state the obvious. There's an episode of The Office where 
Pam Beasley, if you watch The Office or not, Pam is Jim's girl. And, and there's an episode where the microwave is dirty in the, in, the, in the break room. And everybody is just stating that the microwave is dirty. Multiple employees are seeing that the microwave is dirty, but no one cleans it. They, put, they print out a notice and put it on the microwave that says the microwave is dirty. <laughs> and then someone comes along and says, instead of us just stating that the microwave is dirty, why doesn't someone just go in there and clean it up? We love to state the obvious. We're slow to state the timeless. What I love about Nehemiah is that he's not going to God and saying, the walls are burned down, God, as if God doesn't know. The city is in ruins. Everything that you, God knows. God doesn't need a reminder of what's going wrong. You need a reminder of what God's going to do right. And so instead of stating the obvious, let us practice the habit of stating the timeless. He goes before God, says, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That is his initial response to tragedy, is to declare the timeless truth of who God is. Instead of you walking around saying, I'm so broke. Let's begin, instead of stating the obvious, let's state the timeless. God is my provider. Oh, I'm so scared of coronavirus. If we're going to live in paranoia and fear, we might as well not live. God is with me. God got me. Come on. I'm so single. Lord, Lord got you. And then the people that are married, I'm so tired of my spouse. <laughs> you picked them. <laughs> State the timeless. You picked them. Instead of stating the obvious, state the timeless. It's so hot in here. Next summer when the AC is down, can we just give God praise that there is still a building for us to come to? When somebody takes your seat on a Sunday, they take them to my seat. Your name ain't on it. Thank God the church is growing and somebody didn't know that you sit there. Right? Instead of stating the obvious, man's bathroom still ain't done. Well, thank God it's getting done. Right? Yo, let's, let's live with just a declaration of what is good, what is optimistic, what is faith-filled. Church, because my, my natural human shame tendency, not pastor shame tendency, my natural shame tendency, and I'm just speaking truth, is to state the obvious. I would be the guy that says it's hot in here. I would. I would be the guy that says this restaurant is terrible. I would be the guy that says somebody sat in my seat. Unredeemed Shane is not a good Shane. I'm the guy who feels the extremes. But man, I feel it when the grace of God is on my life. And the things that would have bugged me and messed me up and got me all hot and bothered are actually whatever. Whatever. It's all good. Yo, I started, when I started feeling like, man, God's working on my life 
and the things that bug me no longer bug me and the stuff that I blow up with no longer I no longer blow up with and and the stuff that I was angry about I'm no longer angry it's just like it feels good to just let God take care of it it feels good join the club let's leave the stressed club let's come over to the freedom club amen like leave the whole club where no one's happy and everybody's aggravated and everybody's annoyed all the time and everybody's pessimistic. It's too hot, it's too hot, blah, blah, blah. Let's join the faith club that says, you know what? Maybe things aren't that great, but God's great. Maybe things don't feel awesome, but God's awesome. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's hot in here, but at least I'm going to heaven and not hell. Come on, come on, let's just start saying like faith-filled statements, amen? Can, can you clap because if you believe it? It's a good word. We just, we need this, man. We need this. I need to end, but whatever. Anybody can complain. Only the faithful can confess. Check this out. Nehemiah goes directly to the God that could handle this situation. Charles Spurgeon said this, laying the matter to heart, he did not begin to speak with other people about what they would do, nor did he draw up a wonderful scheme about what might be done if so many thousands of people would join the cause. He didn't care what other people would do about the issue. He went to the God who he knew could handle it. Instead of you practicing the, 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 the chaos, actually, of going to A, B, and C and getting the validation of everybody and what they think, and man, I just need somebody to agree with me, take your matter to the God who has his hand on the situation. Sometimes what we do the worst is that we talk too much. Talk too much to people that have no spiritual weight we talk to folks that are weaker than us and then expect to be spiritually strong. That is stupid. If I need help with my car, I don't go to a, a clown. I thought of a circus. I thought of a clown. That's why I used it. This is not written. It's spontaneous. I go to a mechanic. I go to Aflac. I go to Jonathan. I go to folks that know. I don't try to act like I know either. Oh, you know when men pop the hood and you know they know nothing about it. Why do men do that? Pop the hood and look like, ooh, you don't know jacks. You know where to put the windshield washer fluid, and that's about it, if that. Over there putting washer fluid in the oil spot. Look, I don't know, so I don't pretend to know. But I'm part of a community, plenty of men that know. And my manhood does not diminish if I need another man's help. Right? Amen? Amen to the men that don't know mechanics. Amen? Come on now. Praise the Lord. But you're probably good at something that nobody else is good at. Right? Shoot. Like, we need, to get this, we need to get this correct. It's okay to ask for help. But don't go to folks that you know can't help. Can I get financial advice from somebody who's been broke? <laughs> you know it. You spotted them at Wendy's all, all your life, and now, now you're going to get financial counsel. Like, come on now. Be serious. Be serious, man. Like, we got we to gotta get ourselves straight. But... So, so he, Nehemiah goes directly to God. Is this meaning anything to anybody? Amen. I feel like it is, so I just want to get your validation. Um, I, need, I need to end here, but, but here's the thing. And I, this is such a good point. Nehemiah goes through. Check this. This is good. This whole thing has been good, but this is really good. Nehemiah goes through the whole prayer, right? He's like, God, you're awesome, blah, blah, blah. Remember what you promised us. Can you do it? What not? And then he ends the whole prayer. And chapter one ends with the most random statement. He goes through this beautiful confession. He's like, God, you're awesome. God, you're great. 
God, remember what you've done. Remember what you promised. We repent of our sins. Like, do it, right? I just picture, like, the worst team playing do it again behind him. Like, we've seen you move mountains. Would you do it again? And the worst team just builds up. And Nehemiah, and then the chapter ends, and there's this random statement. And I was cupbearer to the king. I'm like, Nehemiah, where'd that come from? This is awesome. God, you're... By the way, I was cupbearer to the king. Revelation there, though. Revelation there. Because you know what some of us do when we hear bad news? We, we jump into, like, we... My grandparents and my mom always use this southern expression called get your feet in a panic. And get your feet in a panic, what, when they say that, it means, like, you're rushing to judgment. You, you, you don't process what you need to do. You just kind of, you just do whatever. You just shoot in every direction and hope something hits. I think some of our generation, we get our feet in a panic. We, bad news, we do the first thing that comes to our brain, right? Block them, right? We, we, we quit, right? We break up. We, we just do whatever's the most extreme because we don't know what to do. Instead, because Nehemiah could have received the bad news and been like, get me a horse. I'm going to Jerusalem to go rebuild it, but he didn't. He waited. And I think some of the best thing you can do before you take any decision, sleep on it. Don't make decisions tired. Don't make decisions hungry. Amen? Making decisions hungry is the worst thing you could do. I would rather make a decision tired than hungry. Amen, Alex? Like, it's just... But don't... Don't, don't jump to a decision. If it can wait, wait. It's crazy how different things look in the morning. Wow. When the sun comes up, I look at something that I thought was doom, gloom, and destruction the night before. Being The next day, I'm like, it's going to be all right. Right? The sun is a beautiful thing. Right? Open your blind. I'm giving you practical advice from a guy who has faced this. Open up your windows. Throw open the blinds. Go outside. Nothing looks clear under your covers. Oh, oh, the world's done. No, get out. Another practical advice. This is super spiritual. Take a shower. Showers change hearts. And you're like, Shane, you're being foolish this morning. No, I'm being real. Showers are the best place to process. Sometimes I pray like, Lord, this water washes me. Wash me with your prayer. Like I just, I'm, I'm crazy like that. I'm giving you Shane advice now. Because things look different when you wait a bit. But check this. Ready? This is good. He's saying I was cupbearer to the king. God will never call you to abandon your current responsibilities to pursue something else until your current responsibilities are brought to closure. This is good. In our generation, that's always like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. God's will is never in chaos. God's will is in closure. God's will is in responsibility. God's will is in honor. 
God's will is honoring your commitments. If you said you're going to do something, if you're going to bear a cup to the king, you better bear that cup until you tell him you're leaving. You're not going to leave the king hanging without a cup. Is this meaning anything to anybody? If you said you're going to show up at your job, you show up. Amen. If you, talking to everybody that serves here, if you say you're going to serve, if you volunteer to serve, and then you get scheduled, <laughs> click confirm. Because we honor our commitment. I never want to leave someplace prematurely. I never want to leave somewhere prematurely because I was such in a rush to get to the thing that I think God's going to do next that I end up making a hot mess of where I am now. Never burn your bridges. Never. Never burn your bridges. Well, God's calling me to do this, so I got to go. But, but before God releases you to that, God always brings closure to where you're at now. Peace. Resolution. Honor. That's the way God works. God is never in chaos. Mark my words. God is never in chaos. God is in peace. God is in harmony. God is in unity. Amen? Check this out. I'm going to end right here. Sam, can you help me out? Because check this, and I've been saying this is good for the last 10 minutes, but this is really good. Where you are is giving you access to where you need to be next. Isn't that really good? Thanks, Raheem. That is the best part of this whole thing. Because a very humble position of cup, literally Nehemiah's job was to take a cup of wine to the king. That was his job. That was his job. Like, day job. What do you do for a living? I take a cup to the king. But the most humble of positions was giving him access to authority that would be able to release him to be a leader where he would need to be next to rebuild the wall. You see, the most humble position you're in now is giving you access to the right authority that will then release you to the next thing that you, need, that you are called to do. If Nehemiah hadn't been cupbearer to the king, he wouldn't have had direct access to the king. And if he didn't have direct access to the king, he couldn't have been released by the king to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So submission is always the beginning place of God's purpose for your life. Submission to authority is always God's design for promotion. Always. At the workplace, in the church, whatever it is that you're called to do, it's always going to come because you are submitted. Because you are, the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled. Those that try to make a way for themselves are going to get the door shut. But those that allow God to open the doors for them, God opens it. Here's the thing. And the next chapter, chapter two says this. And because God's gracious hand was on me, Nehemiah talking, he says, the king granted my request. 
You see, people think they're giving you favor, but the favor of people is actually a sign of the favor of God. That boss thought they were promoting you, but little did they know that the favor of God is what actually promoted you. They, oh man, come on, don't let me preach this morning. They thought that they were the ones that were doing you a favor. They thought they were opening a door for you, but little did they know that it was God that opens doors, and the door that God opens, no man can shut. Can somebody, ambassadors, give God a shout of praise if you're grateful? Come on now. He was in the room before you. He was there before you. That's the beauty of being a Christ follower, is that he has gone before us. He is the one who opens the doors for us. I don't need to try to kick down doors for myself. I know that when I'm in the center of God's will, humbled for God's purpose in my life, he's going to do what only he can do. Can you stand with me? I want to pray for you.